Hey, what's up? Morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Could you hear the intro music? Yes, I can, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Fully copyright protected, so pretty sure that's not going to fly, but uh, <laughs> whatever. Good enough for now. Hey, we're big believers in copyright law over here. Exactly. So, um, Yeah, shout out to Stevie, the GOAT. Um, but yeah, thanks for hopping on, bud. Um, all right, well, let's get it going. Uh, welcome to the third episode of our new daily series, Daybreak Crypto, where every morning uh, around 6.37 a.m. Central Time, two members of the crypto uh, chemistry team will be breaking down some random stories, thoughts of the day, maybe just having a conversation. Uh, today, you got me and Dylan. Dylan and I, sorry grammatically correct uh why don't you kick us off let's get right into it yeah. uh what's on your mind sure so this link came out yesterday about huawei documents showing chinese tech giants involvement in surveillance programs so huge shocker right Ch uh chinese technology uh having a role in the surveillance state so i wanted to comment on this just because there was one sentence that really struck me but first i suppose let me explain a little bit they the washington post reports that there was a couple of slide decks that shed light on huawei's role in surveillance activities in china these decks these pictures were allegedly public facing on huawei's website that advertised what the company could do for you the customer to monitor people and, and employ surveillance. So Huawei appears has denied all this stuff, but if it was indeed public facing at one point, it's a little bit hard to deny. So I just wanna read this, this sentence. The Huawei slides shed light on the company's role in five surveillance activities in China. One, voice recording analysis. Two, detention center monitoring. Three, location tracking of political individuals of interest. Four, police surveillance in the Xinjiang region. I probably said that wrong. And four, I'm sorry, five, corporate tracking of employees and customers. One more thing, and then I wanna hear what you think about this. I noticed in here, they, they talked about Microsoft and Zoom at one point had some attention tracking features. And if I think about Zoom having attention tracking features, that means they were analyzing whether or not you're like looking at the camera. And if you're, I think they can tell if the brightness changes on your face that you're clicking through websites, things like that. I mean, that, that to me is just so, so wild that any corporation, any company, any employer is like, yeah, let's, let's turn that on. And I mean, the U S there's, there's firms that would do that. I mean, traditional finance firms are kind of, I would think at the top of the list, other bureaucratic companies but the point i'm trying to make here is it's not just a chinese problem it's broad surveillance capitalism so jake what do you think um yikes uh it just seems like every time uh china is just getting up to the uh the the complete big brother 1984 version of life right now and one question i have is just 
in the background uh, is digression is i i don't know i just wonder like do if chinese people like the actual citizens support this kind of uh widespread surveillance state um maybe they do maybe they don't i don't know but what i will say is that one of the examples you pointed out you know the way that they're using these tools is obviously horrific especially with the the Uyghur minorities those um concentration camps or prison camps however you want to define it but i think i remember um that eyeball tracking people talking about trying to use that for kids in virtual school through the pandemic because you know it's it very difficult to get kids to pay attention to their laptops all day not being in school and i remember hearing just ideas getting kicked around and it just makes me think that these tools they can have very innocent origins with very noble intentions but obviously as you can see uh they can be turned around and used for any purpose. And so I think it's just very important to take the time to consider how these maybe seemingly innocent tools could be abused at their worst. That's, that's where my brain goes. Yeah, I think it's, I've been reading the book Surveillance Capitalism. They talk about this concept that it's not the technology, but it's how it imbues behavior that is the issue. And so these companies essentially realized they could do anything they wanted and then they subsequently did whatever they wanted. And that's kind of a comment more, I think on like the Googles and the Facebooks of the world where the regulation territory was just so like behind, there was just no understanding of what they were actually doing. And so to your point, it's Mm -hmm. the, the company's behavior, how the stuff's actually done to generate profit versus the, statement like technology is bad right i mean that's that's a blanket statement that's arguably i suppose it's debatable but i would say not true but anyway crazy article we'll put it in the links and i would encourage people to read it it's a bit long but i think it's important so thanks oh that's great appreciate it um all right well what what do you been what have you been looking at yeah, yeah, we're about halfway. Uh, so the thing that I was looking at was uh, yesterday, actually, Tuesday, December 14th, the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs heard from several expert witnesses with knowledge on stable coins. And the focus on this hearing was stable coins. So, yeah, if you're interested in uh, you know, waking up and hearing about uh, financial regulation, I'm happy to say. I'm here to give you exactly what you're looking for because uh, the conversation really revolved around whether or not the growing stablecoin use was a threat to the American political system, economy, the dollar. And uh, there were four uh, key witnesses. There was a professor from American University, uh, Washington. There was Alex, Alexis Goldstein, director of financial policy at Open Markets. Jay Masari, a partner at Davis Polk and Ward Well, and Dante Disparte, probably the only person seemingly related to stablecoin issuers. And uh, he was one of the chief strategy officers at the Circle. And so really what you had here was a bipartisan committee whose focus, like I said, is on banking. And There was some grandstanding, sure, and it seems like there's a bit of a partisan split over how to address stablecoins, but 
generally speaking, there's a lot of skepticism. And I think it mostly stems from senators' reluctance to embrace something that, in their view, might undermine the power and authority of the Fed to enact monetary policy, uh, both at home and around the world. Uh, the dollar status and the tools that the Fed has are incredibly powerful. And so on some level, it makes sense that senators would be scared of losing that power. Uh, but then the other, it's important that this stuff gets talked about honestly and straightforward without fear mongering. And this isn't always the right environment to have those conversations. Yeah, I, I had... They've been doing a couple hearings. I, I can't keep it straight. I don't know if there's just been one or, or several, but I think there's been a couple different things. So they keep seeing videos and, and sound bites and things. So one of these conversations in one of these hearings within the past couple of days really struck me where the gentleman who is on the the congressional side of the bench, or I don't know, the, the governmental committee side of the bench, grilling the the people coming in from the industry, was questioning the potential of a stablecoin being a complement to the dollar rather than an adversary. And I found that it really made me think for a second, because I, I have been kind of in the mindset of the stablecoins can disrupt the dollar, all these crypto tokens and projects that are trying to be, I guess, just in the DeFi world, could potentially disrupt the US dollar as its status of a reserve currency. But when you look at stable coins, they are all pegging to the US dollar. You could argue that's a complement to the dollar and that it strengthens the position of the dollar as a reserve currency because it's like if you're buying stable coins, you're trying to get exposure to the dollar. Like you're still believing in the dollar in a, in a way, <clears throat> in a way, right? Because you want, you want your asset to, exposed to the dollar. So it's, if you really sit back and think about it for a second, that makes a lot of sense. And this was coming from the, the regulators side of the bench. So I felt that was compelling and thought provoking I want to maybe watch the entire hearing. So I only really listened to like a couple of bits and pieces, but I was actually quite impressed by it. Yeah. And this might've been a different hearing than, than the one you're yeah, yeah. referring to. I'm not sure what the guy's name was. Yeah. Well, well, I, I mean, yeah, it's, they, it, it's weird because they seem to haul up some of these CEOs of these tech companies every other day and, uh, constantly talking about bringing some kind of uh, breaking up the big tech companies, regulating them, and, and nothing's really come about. And so, when I think about what is the reasonable expectation for regulation here, I'm not a senator, I'm not up on Capitol Hill, so take my opinion for what it's worth. But what I'll tell you is that actual policy has been pretty much non existent. Uh, but regulators like the SEC, Fed, and Treasury, they are taking steps already to try to begin some regulation. Uh, Fiat-backed stablecoins are the first in their target, the first target in their crosshair because they both play a key role across mar crypto markets and because, and this is big, because they have clear third parties to target. Now, not all of them do. You think about some of these decentralized protocols that don't have a clear singular third party. 
but those that do represent um, a better analog to traditional financial regulators. So they just, the government feels more comfortable, I think, targeting one company that provides a stable coin rather than trying to go after a decentralized group of people. Uh, my read is that it looks like there's enough disagreement here between the parties to prevent any large-scale regulation. Dems want regulators to act now. Republicans insist any action be done through Congress. And I'm sure if Republicans controlled the executive branch and Dems didn't, they'd be flip-flopped. So I, I would bank on the power dysfunction to prevent anything major from happening in the short term. Yeah, that's a good point. And furthermore, I mean, they can't do much. Like you said, if there's no third party that's based in the U.S., they can't do anything other than ban U.S. exchanges from allowing U.S. residents from using the products. Like, this is all, it's like, are you going right. to try to ban the internet? I mean, you can't. So all you can really do is prevent U.S.-based companies from providing the option to, to dabble with the stablecoin, which a lot of websites in the U.S. don't let you use Tether, USDT, uh, for this reason. So, or USDT pairings, but we have oh. plenty of stablecoin options, and there's algorithmic stablecoins that seem to be doing just fine or as far as maintaining pegs. So, yeah, I mean, they can't really <laughs> do much other than, than ban it. So, I mean, even for banning it, but it's it's like they right. can't actually you know, it, ban the the thing from living. And if you just use a VPN and some DeFi wallets, you can still get it. So, it's kind of like good luck. Right. It reminds me. It reminds me of. Do you, have you ever seen like students storm the court after a college basketball game? And there's like there's like ten security guards against a thousand students. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good luck. I mean, it's just it's too many people. Um. So, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. They're going after big providers rather than every single person hide, you know, that, that operates on these networks. But that's, that's the image I had in my head. Dude, for real. Uh, well, excellent. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you hopping on, Dylan. We're at about 15 minutes, so I figure we can kind of wrap it up for the day. Uh, any parting thoughts for the listeners? No, I mean, it's, it's crazy stuff, as always. The... <laughs> The main thing I'm, I'm trying to think through is, is this privacy stuff. How do we, how do we cope with it and not to be too paranoid? So, um, it's like every day we see this stuff, but no. we just got to do what we can. We got to build what we can and mm -hmm. hope for the best. That's good. Good thoughts. All right. <laughs> I try. Yeah. I'll talk to you later, man. Yeah. See ya.